0: My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to The Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Welcome to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morales. My co-host Jason Bryan is on assignment today. It's great to be here with one of my good friends Cornelius Edwards talking about uh, re-entry, talking about workforce development, his personal story. I mean and it's great to be with him and a little bit that most of our our audience doesn't know is two and a half years I've came home. They know that I was incarcerated but two and a half years I came home and you were the, one of the first friends to say, hey, let me pick you up, take you out for some Starbucks. <laughs> Never had Starbucks in my life. You took me out. We sat in there two hours, reminisced um, on our on our journey together. Especially when we were in Toastmasters together. So uh, you remember the old icebreakers, and we broke the ice that day in, in Starbucks. So I had to reunite with that uh, cup of coffee. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, appreciate Cornelius it. <laughs> and uh I remember that you got me one of those shots you got over there. So uh would you would you share what that is and uh
1: <laughs> So this this is uh and I've developed this over the years. Eventually, you know, you come to a point where you you know what you like and, and I Definitely. and, and I have, uh, uh I'm a and I'm an espresso guy, you know? Right. So uh and normally one shot of espresso is not enough, so I tried a double, double didn't work, so I went with a triple. And I don't like all the, all the filters in between, so I'd normally do a triple shot of espresso uh, over ice in a grande cup, right. uh, one pump of hazelnut, add cream, and then top it off with water. And it's the most amazing <laughs> cup of coffee on the planet. It definitely <laughs> is. I had one last
0: time, and every once in a while I get it. Uh, but it's good to have you, brother. Let me share a little bit about you with our, with our guests. This is our actually our 37th video podcast uh, episode. And um, when I think about Cornelius, uh, I have a lot of stories, but I go to your LinkedIn bio every once in a while, check, down, check on you on LinkedIn, see what you're up to. But um, <clears throat> let me share a little bit about our audience about you. So super passionate guy, uh, loving, kind, um, and he's definitely passionate about providing workforce or workplace safety instruction and certifications to men and women currently employed and pre-certifications to single parents. Students, veterans, formerly incarcerated people seeking entry-level entry positions in the labor and food industries, and in effect, providing employers with the knowledgeable, with knowledgeable candidates for future employment opportunities. Throughout his previous 20 years of experience as a trainer, speaker, and program developer, he has learned that safety and employment are cornerstones for building responsible men and women, safe workplace environments, and better communities and definitely productive lifestyles. Is super passionate about empowering those who need a hand up, and is committed to leaving a legacy on this earth and leaving this leaving this place better than when you found it. Welcome to the Prison Post, Cornelius.
1: Thank you for having me, Richard.
0: Now, when I when we first met, you uh, I they were, I was introduced to you as Tony yeah. Tony Edwards. So I see think Cornelius
1: and I think Tony. I mean, how did that ever come about? So there's a story behind <laughs> my, my my name. My God-given name is Cornelius Anthony Edwards. Okay. Uh, my entire family calls me Anthony uh, or Tony. Um, most of my cousins call me, call me Tony. My immediate family call me Anthony. Uh, so growing up, Tony has been kind of like the name, you know. But okay. uh, My mom, she really wanted me to use my first name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she always thought Cornelius was an amazing name. When I was growing up, I thought it was kind of corny. You know, so Tony was cool. You know, right. Anthony was cool. You know, but Cornelius he had Cornelius the Rooster, Planet of the Apes, Don Cornelius. Don Cornelius. <laughs> you know, he had all these, all these, all these names, and and Cornelius I had to grow into. When I came home, she asked me if I would use my name now, and I, and I promised her I would. Oh, know, that's so, awesome. Uh, that's uh. I, since then, I've been gotta, Cornelius Edwards.
0: We uh, got to honor moms. Uh,
1: yes, we do. <laughs> yeah,
0: I got another friend. His name is a uh, Canard Isaiah um, love and, uh, he goes by Isaiah, but uh, much to his father's chagrin.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go by canard,
0: but, uh, we'll start off with a little bit about what, what you do and then we'll get back to the story. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a long title cause you're a man of many hats, but food and alcohol safety consultant, instructor, property manager for Maxco Inc commercial property. Tell us a little bit about your business and your work.
1: Okay. So what I do is, um, uh, uh, I've, I've been in the property management for approximately five, maybe six years now, uh, and uh, I, I did some work for a PMRC. Uh, PMRC was uh, 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 a company that restored homes that were destroyed in fires oh, uh, or destroyed homes that were uh, in earthquakes. And uh, uh, during my tenure with them, uh, I really got familiar with property management. Uh, and lo and behold, I was actually living in an apartment at the time, uh, and uh, uh, the owner of the apartment complex needed a manager, and he right. knew that I was in the industry. So he asked me if, I, if I'd if i managed a building, and that's where it started. Uh, when I moved to Sacramento, uh, my wife... Uh, wanted to know if I would move to Sacramento because one of us had to move and it was easier for me than it was for her. You know, she's been at her job for 35 years. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll move to Sacramento. And, uh, when I got here, I started putting my filters out. I need to rebuild my, my food safety business. And in the meantime, I needed something, uh, solid, something, uh, uh that I can go to every day. Uh, but I didn't want anything full time. I right. wanted something that was really flexible so I can spend more time on my personal business. And, uh, Maxco offered me a job uh, uh, as a property manager, as an assistant property manager. Uh, Maxco owns uh, South Point Plaza. South Point Plaza is a 160,000 square foot shopping center uh, with uh, uh, Seafood City uh, and Big Five as their anchors. Uh, I have 28 tenants. Uh, wow. My job is to make sure that they're okay. They're responsible for what takes place inside, anything outside, uh, that, which, which is called the common area, uh, I am responsible for. It. Uh, i hire all of our uh, uh, all of our vendors uh, i hire all of our porters i hire uh, that's i i manage a shopping center you know right on. And, and i've been doing that for about four years now almost four years uh, so uh, that is what I do with property management however with food safety right the story behind food safety <laughs> is is one that you're probably familiar with but yeah, I had definitely. no idea no idea whatsoever that and I would be a, a, a food safety instructor uh, while I was incarcerated.
0: Well, let me share something real quick. I mean, I mean, I like the way okay. um, you said that. Uh, probably because of your of your character, your credibility, and your authenticity. That the uh, apartment uh, that, you, that you lived in, that needed a property manager. I mean, obviously, they're not looking to somebody who lives there who's you know involved in nefarious things. They're looking for somebody <laughs> yeah. who they can trust. Yeah. And they get, you got an opportunity there, and you stepped into it. I stepped into and it, and then you, you know about uh, food service uh, management and safety. Uh, it's something that you stepped into as well. And uh, you know, pot, uh, the prison post is a, is, a, is one of the arms of uh, of crop organization. And crop organization, we have this idea, this philosophy, this view that we plant our flag on and we stand on strong. That people that are formerly incarcerated, people that are justice involved. The ceiling for who they can be and what they can do is so much higher than what they even imagine for themselves. And all they need is an opportunity. You had a couple opportunities, and then they need the willingness to step into those opportunities with commitment. And then after that, once they begin to see, the sky's the limit. So tell us a little bit about uh, food safety. Wow,
1: food safety. Uh, Well, once again, I I had no idea that I would would get into, uh, uh, that I would become an instructor for food safety however one of the things you mentioned uh, was was you mentioned character you know and, and a, a huge part of my character is is I am an I'm a trainer I'm a teacher I'm an instructor yeah uh, that's that's what I do that's what I've always done and I've done that for 30 years uh, sometimes the subject matter changes a little bit uh, however the passion to teach never changes uh, so while, while I was incarcerated uh, I was working for pia uh, while working for prison industry authority I was uh, one of the lead, lead clerks there. I, I was the production, uh, the production clerk, everything pretty much went through me. Uh, and, uh, but well, tell us
0: a little bit about that real quick. Because n- uh, n- Most of the time when we talk about our episodes and, and the pay for those who are incarcerated, most of the time it's the eight cents an hour, you know, 20 bucks a month. I never made in 21 years more than $27 a month. Uh, and, and then PIA being the, being the lead guy, you don't just get that overnight. You know, yeah. and and um, but there's a little more opportunity there. Maybe not what we'd like to see. Maybe we'd like to see minimum wage someday, or or something that they can we can come out and you know have a little bit of money in our pockets. Other than that, uh, two hundred dollars that they give that has been <laughs> two hundred dollars since 1973. But what about what a PIA? And then you're there. What 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 is that like? And then uh, uh, getting into food safety. Well, well,
1: prison industry authority. I I worked in <clears throat> in, in uh, uh, furniture. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get into prison industry authority, because it's, uh, it is a, 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 a business for profit, they pay you uh, uh, accordingly. And, and granted, you know, we don't have to pay rent. You know, we didn't have to pay rent. We didn't have to pay for food. We didn't have to pay for those things. Uh, if you make 65 cents, 55 cents, uh, 45 cents an hour, that was sufficient. Uh, And working in prison industry, but the best part of prison industry, it provided it provided you with work values, Mm -hmm. uh, values that said, you know what, if I get up and go to work every day, I got to punch in. I have a I have a time clock I have to hit, and when I leave, I have a time clock I have to hit. You know, uh, those are the things that you know, uh, someone who hasn't worked, uh, someone who 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 hasn't uh, been responsible uh, in in you Mm -hmm. know in 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 the in in the work industry, uh, they develop those skills. Uh, And uh, it's a good thing because, you know, when you're incarcerated for an extensive period of time, guess what happens? You get used to that. You get used to going and punching the clock every day and going Mm -hmm. to work. uh, uh, Even getting a little overtime. And and even get a little overtime, you know. And the lead positions, you know, most of the lead positions were either 65, 75, or 90, or 95 cents an hour. Uh, Clerks, we maxed out at 75 cents an hour, which was fine. And 75 cents an hour, you know, uh, and the only thing I had to do was... Buy my daughter things, you know, for uh, for <laughs> for a birthday, and mm-hmm. uh, send her money, you know, when she needed it for school, or uh, or just save my money, you know. Uh, that was uh, that was more than sufficient. I had I had plenty of uh, plenty of money to do that with. Uh, the other thing uh, that prison industry provided was they provided an opportunity to learn, mm-hmm. uh, to learn a valuable skill, a skill that you could actually take into the workplace, uh, and uh, you have quite a few. Uh, men and women you know who've worked in prison industry authority who've come home and they've and they've went out and 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 uh, used those skills to become uh, to become gainfully employed uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is amazing uh, and you know if that's something you've done for 20 years 10 15 20 years you should take that skill and you should use it and you should be compensated for it mm-hmm. uh, because there's so many companies out here that actually need it uh, with regards to me because I was a clerk I had access, to just about every, mm-hmm. everything that was going on, going on in PIA, uh, particularly when it came to to training. Uh, now, uh, CTF Soledad had furniture. They had PIA furniture. They had PIA textiles where they did a lot of sewing, and then they had the dairy. However, the dairy closed down. Mm. When the dairy closed down, uh, uh, any material that they had actually came over to our, our office. So there had been a box of books sitting over in a corner you know, mm-hmm. uh, they, and they just sat there for about six months, you know, and I, I'd, I'd see him, but I just didn't, didn't give him a lot of thought, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, one day I, we were clean, I was cleaning, cleaning the office, uh, and shuffling some stuff around and I saw the books, uh, and uh, it said, uh, uh, food protection service manager training service aid. So I read a little bit about it and I said, you know, let me look into this. So I, I talked to the superintendent, Charlie Walker was his name, great guy, by by the way, you know, uh. He, uh, I asked him uh, what were we doing with these books you know they had exams in them and it looks like if we if we had a proctor and a trainer we could probably you know get some guys in here certified who may want to work you know in the yeah. you know, in the food industry you know? right. and he said you know what he said go for it he said find a proctor you know so uh, I, I solicited one of the one of the PIA uh, supervisors as a proctor uh, they got signed up as a proctor and said okay uh, I'll allow you guys to go ahead and and, and uh, uh study in a classroom. Uh, and once you guys do the studying in the classroom, I'll come in and I'll proctor the exam for everybody. You know, so I had about 15 guys.
0: Uh, so you enrolled, you went and enrolled others.
1: I went in, I went out and I got all the guys that I knew that would take this and probably utilize it, but who was interested in getting something that actually had some substance to it. Yep. Uh, so
0: we, so, so, so part of the prison post, the purpose of, uh, of our, of our podcast is to share the transformational stories of people who are currently or formerly incarcerated and definitely we have on guests that are movers and shakers, leaders in the restorative justice and criminal justice reform and social justice movements. But every once in a while, uh, we, we mix it up and have transformational stories like yours. But there's always a beginning of that transformation. There's that dusty box over there <laughs> from a dairy that closed down. I peeked in there. There's this course. Next thing you know, I, I go through it. I see, oh, oh I, I can get 15 other
1: people and get a proctor and go ahead. <laughs> Got a proctor, uh, we all studied, we took the exam, and I believe all of us passed. Of course. Yeah, all of us passed, and we were all certified as food protection service managers. And maybe a handful of us had actually worked in culinary in the kitchen, you know, who were familiar with some of it. Right. But most of us had no idea. And I had, I had absolutely no no plans of ever utilizing it. I Simply because it was there, I had the time. I said, let me just go ahead and get it just in case. But, you know, we never know what God has planned. You know, and that's, you know, that's part of the lesson here, you know, is, right. is you know, we, we just don't know, you know. We put these things in our path for a reason. And at some right. point, you know, he'll pull those things up and say, hey, you know, <laughs> this is for you. Yep. This is why I had you do that, you know. And that's what happened with with uh, with the food safety. Uh, fast forward, uh, when I came home, uh, uh, yeah, and a quick shout out to Dan Tichini. Uh Yeah, he's a... a he uh, I was I was teaching a, a, actually I was I, I don't want to call it teaching uh, I was actually uh, providing instruction for one of our avatar programs okay. uh, and, and Dan, we'll talk about that in a few
0: yeah and Are Dan, you doing avatar
1: yeah it was during avatar that Dan walked in uh, and we had a conversation and uh, he mentioned that uh, uh, you know uh, well Getting into his program, and I said, "Hey, you know what? I only have x amount of, x amount of days left, uh, maybe a month and a half, two months left, and I'm going home." And uh, but he said, "Well, come on over anyway." He said, "You know, uh, if you need a job when you come home, just give me a call." You know.
0: And Dan Takini and, and his wife Eileen Takini, they were community members who took a program to CTF Central Solidad, and uh, I, I was I benefited from them. They were master trainers. Master uh, trainers. Master trainers. They're they're the transformational. Trainers, coaches, and uh, they're masters at it. Been doing it thirty years and loving people, brilliant people. And so you're on the verge of going home, and they invite you to their program. And then he says,
1: he says, well, you know, if you need a job, just give me a call. You know, okay. I, I may, uh, you know, I, I may have some some contacts for you. Uh, and you know, you know, going home, you know, and we'll get into that too, Richard. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> that you know, we have this these these pipe dreams you know, right. how everything is going to, you know, it's all going to unfold just like this the minute I walk out the door, you know, step A, step B, you know, and, you know, and we've already, you know, got into two years and we know exactly where our life is, Right. you know, and sometimes it doesn't go exactly like that. You <laughs> no, <know>? it doesn't. <laughs> and you're coming
0: out after 26 years. After
1: 26 years, eight months. Don't forget those eight months. That's eight, <laughs> eight months and uh, 12 days. Yeah, 12 days. <laughs> but who's counting? Who's counting, you know? <laughs> but, it's a long time. Yeah, it is. It's a very long time. Uh, and, uh, 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 when I did come home, uh, things didn't pan out the way I wanted them to. And I needed a job. I needed a job immediately. Right. Uh, I called Dan and Dan said, Hey, you know what? I do have a job for you. Uh, in fact I have a, uh, I just opened up a Christmas tree lot and I said, Christmas tree, lot.' you know, I'll take that for now. You know, 30 <laughs> days, it's some quick money. You know, uh, uh he said I think it was like 15 bucks an hour. You know, you can work as many hours as you want. You know, well, what year was that? That was November. Now, remember, I got out November 12th. Okay. Yeah. 2012. 2012. Christmas tree season starts the day after Thanksgiving. Right. So this was approximately two weeks later, a week and a half, two weeks later. Uh, And uh, uh, when I started, the job would last until New Year's. Uh, or the day after New Year's, which is when we were actually cleaning the Christmas tree light up. So I know I had 30 days to make whatever I can make at that job, which was perfect, because I, I didn't want to do anything but work. Christmas was coming up. I needed to be able to spend time with my brand-new granddaughter. You know, I, I just, you know, uh, you know I, my, I had a car. My family made sure I had the vehicle, and I had, you know, roof over my head, and that kind of, but I needed. it. Employment. I needed a way to 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 help provide for my family, and
0: uh, and you were, and you want to step in. You found that box, uh, and you uh, took the courses, and you get you get out. And someone says Christmas tree lot. You never shake. You know, there's there's some people that get out. They have this perspective, like, oh, that ain't really what I want to do. No. You know, you do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do.
1: Until you can do what you want. Okay, do. So, so Christmas so, tree. Christmas tree lot. So I work on the Christmas tree lot for 30 days. Uh, after uh, uh, once we get uh, past that. Uh, or we get close to closing the Christmas tree lot down. Uh, Dan comes by, and we're talking, and he says, hey, you know, he said, I don't know if you're interested, but we're opening up Redemption Foods uh, in Hollywood, you know. Uh, and, you know, if you, you still need a job, there's there's a job for you. I said, okay. I said, well, you know what? I actually have a food protection manager certification. He said, you do? I said, yeah. He said, well, you know what? I think we need one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so lo and behold, I went to work. I went to work for Redemption Foods in Hollywood. Uh, I worked uh, front of the house. Uh, eventually, I managed the front of the house. Right. Uh, and uh, at some point, we realized that no one there had uh, was certified in food safety but me, uh, not even our manager, uh, not even our chef, not even our anyone. I was the only one there with a food protection manager certification. So the next move was to uh, get everyone certified. So what I did is I said, you know, let me... Figure out what I need to do to become a proctor, so that I can proctor every everyone's uh, everyone's exam. And so I went online, I, I did a little research, found out that I, ne- I just needed to do a little studying and then take an exam. Uh, I did that, I became a proctor. Once I became a proctor, uh, I went ahead and got every everyone at Redemption Food certified. Once I did that, I just you know uh, kind of dabbled in it a little bit. You know, some of the other restaurants uh, in the same complex needed some certification so I worked right. with a few of them to get it uh then I took another job i I, I got a better offer I got a better offer with a, a direct TV as an account manager and I, and I took that job I had my you know my line was still out there uh looking for employment and uh I got a better offer and they were paying pretty decent you know uh, what I didn't realize was was I I would be working six days a week sometimes 12 hours a day mm-hmm. and and it was driving me crazy I mean I, I didn't realize it was driving me crazy because you know, i get up in the morning, go to work, come home, go to sleep, get up in the morning, go to work, come home, go to sleep. And it was like that constantly, you know, until, you know, my daughter one day said, hey, Dad, you know, you look horrible. You know, and I, I, I said, you know, I, I feel horrible. And, and, and uh, that's when I decided to uh, quit my job. And when I quit my job, uh, it was scary for a minute, but I had that food safety certification and I became a proctor. Uh, so when I became a proctor, uh, I knew that I couldn't teach the class because I wasn't an instructor. So I said, I need to become an instructor. So I did the research, uh, found out that I could study a little bit. Uh, there were some books that I, I would have to pick up, uh, study. And based on my previous education, uh, uh, I could become an instructor. And uh, I, uh, I took the exam. I took it twice, failed it the first time. Uh, Took it the second time, and I passed it, and I became an instructor. Once I became an instructor, I went from business to business. I made it a point to walk in to 10 establishments every day, no matter what I was doing.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I walked into 10 establishments, and I started in Pasadena. And I still have clients today in Pasadena. Uh, But I I, I walked in 10 establishments every day, and I introduced myself. I said, my name is Cornelius Edwards. I'm a food and alcohol safety consultant. I had some cards made. I gave him a card. I said, listen, I said, I know you probably – May not need it right away, but if you do, I'm at your service. But if you do need your, your food safety certifications uh, renewed, or if you have new employees, I train on site. I'm going to make this easy for you. You're not going to have to go downtown and sit in a room, you know, for eight hours. I'm going to come to your establishment and I'll train all of you right here. And that's uh, awesome. I went from business to business to business, and you know, for six months, they would trickle in. You know, I you know, I make four five hundred here, another maybe a thousand dollars here, or you know, a couple hundred here. And uh, uh, it wasn't enough to actually make a living. And then, you know, uh, I started getting these calls, you know, because one of the things that I realized while I was, while I was doing this was that this wasn't something that, that was an option. In California, you're required by law to have at least one food protection service manager on site at all times, oh. certified. Yeah, because what it does is it mitigates your liability. If someone gets sick... If there's a foodborne illness and, and there's no one there to figure out where it came from, health department shuts you down. If they shut you down, health department's a bureaucracy. You know what happens. If they shut you down, okay, well, maybe we'll let you open. Uh, we'll get somebody out there to figure it out tomorrow. Well, you know what? We got kind of busy. Uh, it looks like maybe next Tuesday will be a good day. You know, And before you know it, you're waiting a whole month. Well, while you've waited an entire month with your restaurant closed down, a lot of things has happened. Yep. Of, yeah, there's lost wages, lost hours, insurance premiums are jumping up because now yep. that you're closed, they want to know why you're closed. Uh, if in fact uh, you are closed and you get cited, guess what's going to happen? That grade, that A, B, or A, it's going to go to a B or a C and that's public. That's public information,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. Insurance companies get it right away, your insurance premium shoots up. So there's so many things get involved.
0: And there's never gonna be a shortage of restaurants. We're no. always gonna need them.
1: You're always gonna need them. So it them.
0: sounds like that. I read that book, uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Okay. And and in one of the the principles of of greatness, he he uses a story called the flywheel effect. It's like that old wheel that you start turning. Like you think about those old gambling ships on the Mississippi River with that red yeah. rower on the back. And it first starts, it starts slow. Yeah. And uh, if you stick to it a year and two years or, you know, and, and whatever, uh, eventually it starts coming back. So I imagine some of that clientele started calling you back. They started calling and, me back. Right? And you got all the certifications, you know, if you need, you need someone, a certified manager. I got it. You need a proctor. I got it. Yeah. I mean, that's right. and I don't know <laughs> what, what you're charging, but I imagine that it, it, I imagine that it's a, you can make a livable, livable wage yeah. and, and it's definitely not uh you know the 15 dollars an hour.
1: No, no, it's not 15 dollars an hour. Okay. I, I, I do I do I do okay, Rich. <laughs> I imagine you do. <laughs> I, I do okay. Uh but but you know the the uh and in, in, in the process, you know, what what happens is you build relationships. Yeah. You know, because while I was doing that, I was also doing some work with with Flintridge at the time. Uh and 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 Flintridge, you know, is is another organization that that works with uh, previously incarcerated. Uh, mm-hmm. And the community, you know, and right. you've uh, I was doing some work with them and I, was pro- I was providing pro-, pro bono training courses. you know in other words i would I would train you uh, for free. Now generally my training is normally a hundred dollars a couple hundred dollars per person depending on how many people I'm training right uh, but if if I'm training you pro bono, that means I'm not I'm not charging anything. I'm giving you my time freely. I'm letting you come into a class, I'm gonna train you, and then I'm gonna have you certified. However, the certification, which whatever whatever the the voucher costs, I'm gonna because it's a nonprofit, I can always use it as a write off. Either I will pay for it, or I will go ahead and pay for it and allow you to pay it back to me after you start working. You know, but that was the, the minimal cost. I mean, you're talking $35, thirty five, thirty six, maybe fifty dollars at the most. Uh, and then you know, I would I would go ahead and refer you uh, because I had clients who need right. who need employees. You know, and you can't be everywhere. And no, and, and you can't be everywhere.
0: And you build a network. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, so yeah, that was, that was the best part of it. But I've been doing that since I've been home. You know? Yeah. And uh, it's... Uh,
0: Eight um, years. Yeah. Nine years.
1: Nine years. <laughs> nine years, Rich. Nine, nine years. years. <laughs> yeah. And how fast they go by, you know, when you're having fun.
0: Yeah. And uh, well, like I said, when I first came out, I'm in transitional housing. <laughs> Brother takes me to go get some coffee at Starbucks, pulls up in a... Corvette, right? Is it a Corvette? It's a Corvette. I'm oh, a bit man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, in, in humility, I'd say uh, some people have one and some people have two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and brother, you're always one of the, the best dressed. You know, I see you on Facebook. Uh, you're all over the place, traveling, traveling, Paris, France and ah. and um, so many other places. I've seen you in the Bay Area and high rises and. Uh, one of the best dressed and, uh, people I know. And, uh, I, I, see, I see you wearing the white suit every once in a while. It remind me of Miami Vice. I tell my fiance, I can pull it off. And she's like, oh, I don't know.
1: I don't know, man. Pull it off, Richard. Give but, it a shot. My, my, my wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> right. But it
0: wasn't always that way. I mean, yeah. 1987, you, you, you get incarcerated and, and 15 to life. You end yes. up doing 26, but yes. 15 to life and 87, so when you start coming up, you know, a lot of our audience uh, is, uh, has family members and loved ones who are, who are incarcerated, and they're, whether they're brother, their son, you know, their father, and many of them are lifers. You know, I get people reaching out all the time and what programs can you provide for my, for my husband or for my son or for my brother or for my dad? Uh, what would he need for board? He got denied two or three times. What is it going to take? And One of the main reasons I wanted to bring you on Prison Post is to tell your story about going through the process and even living through a time when they didn't give out parole dates. I know that you were found suitable six different times and didn't go home until the sixth one. And that also brings hope to some people who say, man, what what does he got to do? You know, he's been found suitable. My dad or my brother been found suitable two or three times. And they take they've taken the date or he's gone to board two or three or four times and he hasn't got it yet. Is he ever going to get out? What about hope? So, you know, uh, I definitely want to highlight some of those stories. But so you go in 1987 and before board, though, when you first get in, was that your aha moment to change your life? Or did you continue down that path for a little while?
1: (laughs) Rich, (laughs) you know, uh, when we generally when and I'm going to speak from a personal perspective. When I started uh, my time, uh, I was the same guy I was on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever I was doing on the street, I was selling drugs. I was destroying neighborhoods. I was whatever I was, I was doing it in prison. You know, my yeah, my, the, my my ideal of of having a good life in prison was doing the same dirty stuff, or stuff that was against the law that I was doing on the street. Right. You know, and and it took something. Something drastic uh, to happen for me to understand that 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 wasn't the way. You know, when I uh, when I initially went to prison, I I went to to uh, to Folsom. I got to Folsom. Uh, uh, I applied for a program uh, at CMC's. CMC's. It was a program that uh, 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 took you through a stress management. Uh, and there were like ten different classes they would take you through, and then once you completed the program, they'd send you back to back to the institution you came from. Uh, well, or oh, you'd we,
0: actually leave the institution to go to this class.
1: Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so they t- transferred me from Folsom to CMCEs. While I was at CMCEs, I said, "You know what? This this is too easy. You know, I just started bringing drugs in as many as much as much as much as I could. You know." I, uh, I was doing the same thing I was doing in prison, uh, on the street. It got me to prison. In prison, uh, and then lo and behold, I, I get caught. Right. And, uh, I get caught. Uh, uh, they give me an eighteen-month shoe program. I go to jail inside of jail, mm-hmm. uh, and
0: uh, uh, and the shoe. What's the shoe? The shoe is is like you said, the jail within the jail. Jail well, within what's a jail. It, it's what's called the shoe. The, like?
1: it, the shoe is called segregated. Shoe stands for segregated housing unit. Uh, Ad seg is administrative segregation. Now, uh,
0: so you go to the shoe because I, you're I, I, a security threat because to a, the institution.
1: I'm a security threat to the public popula to, to, to the, the public population, right. the general population, uh, and uh, I can't be trusted out there. So uh, they uh, they find me guilty, you know, of tra- trafficking narcotics. Uh, they take me off the main line, uh, away from general population. Uh, I'm placed in a single man cell. Uh, uh, with uh, two hours of yard time each day, uh, and the other 22 hours inside the cell uh, for the next uh, 18 months. Uh, when you have that much time in a cell by yourself, uh, that's a lot of time to think. <laughs> you know, and uh, if you're if you're a person that really reflects on who you are, where you want to go, if you care about anything other than yourself. Those are the things that are going to come up because the only thing you're doing is you're writing letters, you're communicating with your family, your family's visiting you, but and you're behind the glass. You can't touch them. They're not Your visits are all non-contact. Uh, my wife and, and, and daughter uh, uh, and uh, uh, my son, uh, they came to visit me uh, one day, this particular day, my wife and I, we were...
0: While you were still in the shoe?
1: While I was in the shoe. Uh, we mm-hmm. So it
0: would be a behind the glass visit. Behind the
1: glass. We were behind the glass. And uh, we were talking and I was a little upset because she had done something that I asked her not to do. She was spending money and I sent a bunch of money home. It was crazy. You know, uh, it was all bad stuff, you know? And, uh, uh, while I'm talking to her, uh, my daughter is, is standing on the side of her and she's pulling her, her dress and I want to talk to him. I want to talk to him. And she's five years old now, you know? So, uh, I, by this time I'd been in prison, maybe four years, a little four years, cause she was a few months old when I left. Uh, and, uh, she says, uh, uh, "I want to talk to him." And my, my wife says, "Wait a minute." I said, no, "No, no, put her on the phone. Let her say what she needs to say. We need a break for a minute. So put her mm-hmm. on the phone." And she uh, uh, she got on the phone. She said, "She says, Dad. She said, when are you coming home?'" You know, in that little kid voice, that little five-year-old voice. You know, I said, right. "Soon." You know, she said, "No, when?" You know, and you can see she's got this serious look on her face, like, "When?" You know, I want to know tomorrow, next week. You know, uh, in June, when, you know?
0: And you and, know that you're not even going to go to the board for, uh, at, you know, 11 years at, or... At least, at, yeah, minimum, you know, t- 10 years. 10 years, yeah. and, and then you also know you are in prison at a time when you then didn't see no lifers went home.
1: Nobody's going home.
0: And you have five-year-olds saying, yeah, when? You say, soon, because you just know they can't comprehend it. Yeah. But at the same time, that impacts your heart and mind.
1: Because deep down inside, she could comprehend it and Mm -hmm. we all comprehended it at the same time because we all knew that we don't know when he's coming home. Nobody knows when he's coming home. Mm -hmm. And the reality of that set in when I left that visit, the reality set in, what the reality said to me was that if I didn't change, if I didn't change something in my life right now, that I was going to be in prison for the rest of my life and I was going to die in prison, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and, uh, I, uh, That's an I, aha moment. It's an it's. I call it an avatar moment. Avatar you know? moment. Yeah, I call it an avatar moment. Avatar is is that moment when you decide to make this transformation, you know. Uh, and uh, I uh, I decided that I was going to change my life. So when I came out, uh, I took a job in the education department as a clerk. Uh, I immediately enrolled in college. At that time, we still had Pell Grants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I uh, I enrolled in college. I, uh, we had a uh, in Folsom. We had a uh, an instructor coming from sac state uh who was uh coming in and, and every weekend and you know we we could only get maybe six units per semester you know if you you know if you yeah if, if you you know took a class uh yeah, an extra class you could you know uh, sometimes you can squeeze in nine units depends on you mm-hmm. know depending on what classes you took if you took spanish you know it was like four or five units for that mm-hmm. And yeah, so we just kind of you know we were Trying to pile up the units, I didn't care what kind of degree I got. I just wanted a degree in something. I wanted to stack my units, and, and so probably I, to
0: put and probably to spend your time in grow social things and anything yes. positive you can get your hands on.
1: Yes, and keep in mind that I was in New Folsom. I was in New Folsom B facility at that time. New Folsom B facility was the toughest line, on, uh, mm. in California, because they hadn't even built uh, Pelican Bay yet. Mm. Yeah, when 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 they when They opened New Folsom. They opened it because of Folsom and San Quentin was just, they were overloaded with a bunch of bad guys, with a bunch of crazy stuff, you know? So what they did was they opened New Folsom and all of the bad actors were sent there. Mm -hmm. Because I had just left a shoe program, they sent me to New Folsom. You know, so in the midst of, 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 Racial tension that you could cut with a butter knife. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I mean every day, you know, uh, you know, in the canteen line, you know, in the doctor's line, you know, uh, under escort, you know, uh, people were getting stabbed, you know, riots, uh, yeah. staff were getting attacked. You know, I, I watched the program administrator get jumped on, you know, right on the yard, you know. Uh, you know, I'm laying on the yard one day, I'm on on the yard one day working out and the guy walks up next to a guy on the bench next to me and take a dumbbell and bashes his head in, you know, so these are all things that are taking place while I'm working to do something positive, you know, uh, and staying focused was, was tough sometimes, but I think at, at that point, God had really kind of entered my life and mm-hmm. just kind of guided me, he said, no, this is, you know, you're on the right track, you know, just move this way, you know, step over here, you know, when, when things are happening, you know, and, and, uh. Uh, I got my points down, and I made it down to Corcoran, uh, level three. Uh, when I got down to Corcoran level three, uh, I was still in the education department, and that's when uh, uh, the tutoring thing took a whole, a whole another, another turn. You know, it, it it went to a to another level. Uh, well, while I was there, I was working as a clerk uh, in ABE one. And an AB one, AB one is like fourth grade, you know. Right. Uh, and when you have grown men, you know, with a fourth grade reading level, you know, uh, uh, your job is to help them learn, you know. And uh, in a in a classroom, you know, and, where you have a, and I'm not going to bash the state right now, you know, but you know, I just wanted just to be clear, you know, they didn't care about whether you learned or not. Right. Bad. I mean, they, they just wanted you in, in a program.
0: You yeah. Know. So when you when you when people go to prison, a lot of our audience don't know is when you go to prison, they give you an assessment test, uh, whether it's called the tape test. And they have another one to see what your reading level is, to yes. see what your scores are. And I don't know if it's changed. Uh, I, I we were just on a call with uh, Brant Choate, the director of rehabilitative programs. And I think he said that the assessment scores have gone up now to like eighth grade. Really? Whereas before the person, <laughs> which is which is yeah. which is. Uh, good in some ways that that the average person in prison has an eighth grade education and is horrible in other ways because it's because the average person in prison has an eighth grade education yes um so but uh before it was even lower i mean uh it was you know sixth grade education which which speaks to a lot of things including the school of prison pipeline and we're in the business of breaking that up but but in prison you have that um uh, Abe one what Cornelius mentioned is uh, adult basic education one and before that even they have an ESL program English second language, yes. ab and, uh, and then there's the K through fourth grade is yeah. the AB one and then fifth grade through uh, uh, eighth grade or seventh grade I think is AB two and then uh, AB three is is, is uh, up high school, to GED. high school and then there's the GD program yeah. and 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 that's at at every prison it's mandated <clears throat> but there's people that in the, in in those Uh, You know, AB one for ten years.
1: Yes, you know. Yeah, and it's and technically you're just a number. As long as you're there, they're getting paid. You know, it's 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 a numbers game. You know, uh, uh, the state has allocated money. You know, for education. You know, and believe me, they're counting the heads.
0: Yeah, and I was a tutor too, and I and I could say, I mean, it's not about bashing. It's just about. Um, uh, being honest, uh, I would say maybe uh, two out of ten instructors really care about uh, truly educating. Other than that, it's uh, print out these, do these assignments, yes. sit around the table, everybody copies, turn them in, and there's not really a, a, a strong push to no. to get it, to get them educated. But um, you know, we're we're we're, we're coming to uh, uh, the end of the show uh, pretty soon here. But I want to definitely invite you back to tell the rest of the story. But okay. but, but 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 Cornelius, would you tell you know? How you took that tutoring opportunity and turned it into something amazing?
1: Well, that tutoring opportunity, I took that, uh, and uh, we uh, wanted to do uh, some one-on-one tutoring. Uh, and when we started doing the one-on-one tutoring, uh, one of the the academic uh, 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 supervisors noticed it and said, "Hey, why don't we get you get you guys certified as uh, as tutors with labog Literacy International?" And this way it's official and I'll let you guys come in the education department and you can tutor right, uh, uh, one-on-one. And it was about three of us at the time, you know, and we said, okay, you know, so we, we started tutoring. Uh, and, be, and be, before you know it, you know, we had 11, uh, we, we had three tutors with 11 students. Uh, and then we realized that, you know what, uh, we, we, you know, we have more people who want to, who want to get involved. Uh, so, uh, we had the conversation with, a uh, uh, with the education department and they said, Hey, you know what, uh, We'll be willing to give you the education department you know, after child for, for two, two to three hours. Uh, and let's see how it works out. And uh, we took three tutors and 11 students, and we turned that into uh, 150 certified tutors on all three yards at Corcoran State Prison uh, to actually servicing over 500 inmates, which were students. Uh, we had more. We had gone from just tutoring uh, uh, one-on-one, uh, to ESOL. From ESOL, there was an intermediate uh, program that got you from uh, uh, there to uh, the GED prep. And once we got you in the GED prep, we taught you how to pass the the, the, uh, uh, the GED. And we had more uh, inmates at that time, more students at that time, uh, coming, uh, graduating uh, or, or getting their GEDs through the literacy program then we're actually coming out of the education right experiment. and i just
0: want to say that 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 those who get their ged who are incarcerated only get only have a nine percent recidivism rate and those with an a degree is 1.6 percent. yes and 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 we're definitely going to do a part two now because we haven't even got to <laughs> the re, one of the other reasons i wanted to, i wanted to bring you on the podcast you're one of the original founders of the transformative programming. Programs that go on in prison. I remember going to CTF Central when there was only one AA meeting in the cafeteria once a month, and there really now there's hundreds of programs. And you were one of the first ones to prepare lifers. You went you went through prison at a time when Gray Davis was there. who said the only way a lifer ever leave prison is in a pine box. You were found suitable during his term three times, and every time he took your date. So you are, are one of the few people we've had on the show who actually had suitability during his time. And he's like, no, pine box. And then during the Arnold Schwarzenegger era, uh, Arnold, and he, and <laughs> he, guy. and you got two more dates and, um, and, um, and, and, and even with, and even there um, it took the third time and you actually wrote him a letter, but you were one of the founders of transformational programming. And I just want to say that here's a story of a, of a man who was incarcerated for 26 years who found every opportunity he could, oh, I'm going to tutor. Oh, now we're going to create a literacy program. Oh, there's a box in the corner on food service management. I'm going to turn that into a, a future career. And that's possible for anybody else in there. If you're willing, if you're willing to transform your life, there's a way. You know, you find your why and you'll find your way. You find your purpose, you'll find your way. And, there's hope, and there is hope and you never leave, leave hope. Maybe the last few words, the last uh, couple minutes could be, um, what do you say to the family member, the loved one? of the incarcerated person and we may have this uh, podcast on the institutional channel soon to the, to the brother or sister who's incarcerated right now for many years, been to board, been denied or been found suitable have their date taken. What do you say to them about hope? What do you say to them about willingness and commitment and you know, what's your message to them?
1: Well, my message to, to not the families so much as to the person of the individual who's actually uh, presenting uh, in the parole in the board of parole hearings take each denial as a lesson grow from it learn from it figure out what what's going on figure out what's working and what's not working sometimes you know we get in our own way uh, and, and that happens more often than not you know uh, I've actually had board members tell me hey you know what that's not what we want to hear you know they're not going to tell you exactly what they want to hear Mm-hmm. but they tell you what they don't want to hear. Uh, learn from each hearing. And, and what I did was I went into each hearing, and every time they denied me, you know, I specifically asked, what is it that I can do to get found suitable? And then when I go into the next hearing, I quote that commissioner. This is what he said that I could do to get found suitable, and this is what I've done. Because now you're holding them accountable. Because if you ask me to do something and I go do it, I held up my end of the bargain. Now I'm, you know, I'm asking you to hold up yours. Mm-hmm. When you take that approach, it shows accountability. Not only does it show accountability, but it builds confidence mm-hmm. because now you know you've done your part. When you go in and you haven't done your part and you're still saying, you know what, I'm not responsible, you know, and you and you want to have this conversation about you know i'm right and you're wrong you know right and wrong died in the courtroom that's that's not where right and wrong right and wrong doesn't take place in in the board of hearing board of parole hearings if there is a right and wrong in the board of parole hearings then you take it back to the courtroom Mm -hmm. that's how that works but in the hearing the only thing you want to do is take responsibility you want to take responsibility and you want to get back to your family right so with, with, with that said, uh, go back each time with confidence because that's what I did. When they found me unsuitable, it, I was sad. I was hurting. My family was hurting. In fact, I think the fourth time my mom cried, I could hear it from the pit of her stomach, and I cried. You know, I went over in a warehouse somewhere, and I and I cried. You know, but uh, when I when I after that was over, I go straight back to the drawing board, mm-hmm. right back to the drawing board, and I say, okay, figure this thing out where 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 did you go wrong what do you need to do and i and i start building and i get back in there and i do it again you know so uh never, beca- don't never give up um. never give up you know uh, uh, just yeah just never give up It doesn't matter you know how 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 bad your history is what you've done in prison you know if if you've done everything that you're supposed to do uh going into your hearings then that's you know that's what you build your foundation on you know uh so Share that with your families, okay. You know? And when you share that with your families, that gives them hope, because if you're not confident about going in there, they're not going to be confident about you going in there either.
0: That's right, Cornelius. I consider you a mentor, a friend. Uh, I was actually in one of your programs. You invited me to come in early on. I want to bring you back on the show to talk about that. Okay. And. Um, and I just want to say, after nine years, man, you're looking good. I know you got got out at fifty two, but you don't look a day over fifty two.
1: I feel and amazing. I know Rich. that you're
0: you're happily married, and um, and um, you know send our your wife uh, our, our regards from Crop Organization, and uh, and see you guys uh, doing uh, some amazing things. And I just see that as an opportunity to bring hope. To our formerly incarcerated brothers and sisters, and to people out here in the struggle, you're an example of some somebody who's done it well and done it right, and has did de- and is determined, uh, and committed, and um, there is no uh, no excuses mindset within you. Um, and so, just appreciate you coming on the Prison Post, and uh, we'll come back and later on we and the, and the second time we'll, uh, we'll we'll tell people how they could reach out to you. If they need uh, any of them food service certifications (laughs) or a property manager. Thank you for coming on The Prison Post, brother.
1: Rich, thanks for having me. Always.
0: Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.